It's early November, 1994, about a month after those white boys yelled 187 at me from their truck. It's lunchtime, and I'm at Anaheim High, hanging out in the quad with my friends. It's me, my best friend Art, and some other Mexican nerds, eating chimichangas and just kicking it under big trees in our usual spot. I remember this moment when Art and I stopped talking. Something's about to happen, like the whole campus is just looking at each other, waiting for something. All of a sudden, some guy I know, out of nowhere, leaves a quad with his backpack and jumps the chain link fence. Almost everyone else heads in the direction of the fence, but I was too scared to join them. I'm like, no, there's going to be police, and I'm a nerd, so I don't want to ditch school. I might get in trouble. My parents might get upset at me. But my classmates weren't scared. They jumped the fence, too. Guys do it like whatever. Girls help each other put their feet through the holes. I think actually at some point, someone just pulls the fence down and almost all of Anaheim High's student body escapes the campus during lunchtime. Back at home, I see my school's walkout on TV. It's a protest against Proposition 187. Over 10,000 students from middle schools and high schools are doing the same across California. People at school had whispered for weeks that it was going to happen, and now it was happening for real. So in a way, Pete Wilson thought that he was going to put us down, but what he did is it backfired because all the people are getting together, and we know we have the power and we're doing something about it. I look for my friends on TV. They're there, and they're waving red, white, and green Mexican flags. No American ones. And I think, here we go. That flag was like our F.U. to the haters. Like, oh, you think us Mexicans are taking over? Well, here we are. Watch out. From the Los Angeles Times and Futuro Studios, I'm Gustavo Arellano, and this is the Battle of 187. It's the first story on our new podcast, This is California. Part two, save our state. The issue of immigration is setting the tone for a political debate in California. A voter initiative is likely to be on the November ballot that would deny public education and public health benefits to illegal immigrants. It's June of 1994, and Prop 187 has qualified for the November ballot. 187, you might remember from last episode, is an extremely harsh anti-immigrant ballot measure with huge consequences for California. It was started by a group of mostly white Orange County residents angry about the idea of taxpayer money going to quote-unquote illegal immigrants. If it passes, 187 would destroy undocumented families. All of a sudden, immigrant kids would be asked for papers or they'd get kicked out of school. Families wouldn't be able to go to the hospital except for emergencies. Today, it's hard to imagine California going for something like this, but at the moment it qualifies for the ballot, 187 is pretty popular, even with Latinos. The first polls showed support for it by Latino voters. That's journalist Pilar Marrero. In 1994, she's working for La Opinión, the second oldest Spanish-language newspaper in the United States. Why do you think those Latino voters supported it? They felt somehow threatened by this new huge wave of immigrants, just like any other community. But that's not how Gerardo Correa felt. Gerardo arrived to Southern California from Mexico 
without papers when he was just two years old, and he'd always tried his best to fit in. Growing up, being Mexican was a bad thing, <laughs> so we didn't want to identify with being、uh, any kind of Mexican, and so we wanted to be as American as we could be. We didn't want to bring beans and, and rice to school. We wanted to bring bologna sandwiches, because all the messaging from our teachers was being Mexican was bad. Gerardo was more interested in just being a teen than in politics or activism. But in the summer of '94, at age 16, he goes to a summer leadership camp for Latino students, and 187 is on the agenda, the so-called Save Our State initiative. Remember, Save Our State is the tagline the pro 187 side uses to promote their campaign. They talked to us about this initiative, the Save Our State initiative. Save our state from what? From me? Like, I'm a threat to you. Like,、uh, I'm a law-abiding citizen. I'm going trying to go to school. I'm trying to better myself. Like, how am I the threat? The more he learns about 187, the angrier Gerardo gets. He decides to figure out how he's gonna fight back. Gerardo comes home from the leadership conference feeling like he has found a calling. Just a few weeks later, he drives to Fresno State with friends to join hundreds of students in a crash course on how to fight 187. Here's material. Here's how you talk about it. When people ask you about it, here's what you need to say. Literally, we had a blueprint. While Gerardo and his new squad are brainstorming ways to stop Save Our State. The 187 committee in Orange County is finding its little experiment has made front-page news. Political consultant Barbara Kiley remembers coming up with talking points. We all had what we were supposed to say. We stuck to script. And what was that script? Do not get into a race war with anybody you're debating. This is not about race. This is about laws. But as much as they try to stay away from race, the general public was clearly getting riled up about California's changing demographics. Check out this guy in NPR's Morning Edition in 1994, a San Mateo resident named John Richardson. My neighborhood has gone from a pretty nice place to live, where、um, you wouldn't want to drive down it in the morning. I mean, if you even drive down it with a vehicle, you have 20 to 30 guys that will literally bum rush your car if you stop or not. They sit out there and drink most of the time if they don't get picked up.、Um, they've caused criminal elements to come in, such as hookers, drug dealers. Um, right now, if I was to move to my neighborhood today, I wouldn't buy the place. I'd turn around and walk out. That's why, for many Latinos, it soon became obvious that 187 was not about citizenship; it was about them. So, thank you for meeting me here. This yeah, is great. Yeah, no, no, no problem at all. In 1994, Gloria Molina is an LA County supervisor, one of the most powerful Latinas in the state, and a daughter of a Mexican American father and a Mexican immigrant mother. Many people said, "Miblaire, you're a citizen. You shouldn't worry about this at all." It was about me. It was about people like me. I was the one that was going to be asked just because of who I was. Asked for papers at a school or hospital, for example. Asked to prove she was an American citizen. Gloria feels a personal and civic responsibility to oppose 187, and thinks it'll be easy to stop. So she forms a No on 187 committee in Los Angeles. There weren't many of us, and very frankly, the first thing we needed to do is to raise money. It was a very, very difficult task, almost an impossible task, and we soon realized that we weren't going to get the kind of money to really mount a major campaign. Gloria starts to reach out to the usual suspects she contacts when fundraising for a campaign, and she's surprised to learn normally reliable Democratic donors and politicians are skittish when it comes to 187. 
People were embarrassed that they weren't giving. They knew the social justice issue of it, but at the same time, they didn't want their name associated. People were intimidated. That's how popular 187 was. Any Democrat who went against it was drinking political poison. One of them was Dianne Feinstein. She's in her first term as senator in 1994, one of the most powerful people in California. And back then, she was pretty tough on the border. Our border patrol agents are outnumbered 60 to 1. In my short time in the Senate, I've worked to make Washington face this California problem with more border patrol agents, new fencing, lighting, and equipment. In October 1994, Feinstein is locked in a tight re-election race. Despite the pleas of activists, she doesn't publicly oppose 187 until three weeks before the election. And when she does, Feinstein portrays herself as a martyr going so far as to claim the decision might cost her the election. By the way, Feinstein declined to be interviewed for this podcast, though her staffer sent me a statement saying she remains at the forefront of immigrant rights today. Gloria Molina was upset at Feinstein for waiting until the last minute to oppose 187. I have not forgiven her to this day because she was in a leadership role, but when she was a bit intimidated, she took a position against us. What would you tell her? Or did you meet with her or talk to her at all during 94? I have decided never to meet with her. Meanwhile, a certain Republican governor is realizing 187 could be his ticket to re-election. For most of his career, Pete Wilson was actually not stereotyped at all for being a hard-right, immigrant-bashing type of guy. In the 1970s, he was mayor of San Diego and promoted free trade with Mexico. In the 80s, he was a U.S. senator who tried to make it easier for farmers to bring in migrant workers. Then, he's elected governor of California in 1990, right before the state enters its worst-ever recession. Here's journalist Pilar Marrero. He was just a normal, middle-of-the-road Republican. But then, when he started running his second term, that's when things changed. In 1991, Wilson releases a report that claims immigrants and their American-born children will help push California into a $20 billion deficit in the next decade. Illegal immigration suddenly becomes his piñata. California's Governor Pete Wilson called the state's immigrant and poor population tax receivers who take more than they give. Pete Wilson recommended denying education and health care to illegal immigrants. The problem is real. The public knows it, and they don't give a damn whether it's an election year. They want relief. In 1994, Wilson's Democratic challenger is Kathleen Brown, the daughter of former California Governor Pat and the sister of another one, Jerry. Early polls have Wilson trailing Brown badly by more than 20 points. He needs a boost. So a month before 187 qualifies for the ballot, he runs this commercial. They keep coming. Two million illegals in California. The federal government won't stop them at the border. Let me hit pause here. So while that voice is saying they keep coming, the image is lots of people, presumably Mexican immigrants, running across a border in the middle of a freeway. Okay, let's hit play again. The federal government won't stop them at the border, yet requires us to pay billions to take care of them. Wilson sent the National Guard to help the Border Patrol, but that's not all. I'm suing to force the federal government to control the border. I personally have never forgotten this ad, and a lot of Californians haven't either. It's just ugly, both the production and the message. Shadowy hordes swarming the U.S.-Mexico border like they're orcs or something, trying to storm a castle in Lord of the Rings. 
But that's what the Wilson campaign wants, to scare voters into voting for him. The ad draws national attention, criticism, and disgust, including from two people you might not expect, Barbara and Bob Kiley from the 187 campaign. I don't think it did our group any good or our cause. Yeah, because now all of a sudden it's tied specifically to this idea of an invasion. Right. right. Not only that, but it's racist. You know, it's it was brown racist. against white. It was racist. But that message, they keep coming, saves Pete Wilson. Although he wouldn't officially endorse 187 until September, Wilson becomes inseparable from it. Wilson is 187, for better or worse. Coming up, the 187 resistance tries one last move. Stay with us. All eyes are on California. Right now, its border is the center of debate and new policies. The climate is reshaping its countryside and towns, and its diverse industries and eclectic food scene are admired across the globe. At the LA Times, we report the story of California because it will shape our nation and our world. Visit the latimes.com slash calstory to subscribe. We're back. It's October 1994. Election day is right around the corner. Things are looking good for 187. Polls show on November 8th, voters in California are likely to approve a ballot initiative that would bar some 300,000 illegal immigrant children from the state's public schools. Pete Wilson now has a slight edge over Kathleen Brown. And Latino activists are getting nervous. They feel Democrats aren't doing enough. In Los Angeles, Kevin DeLeon is teaching English as a second language. He's a son of Guatemalan immigrants and takes 187 personally. He and other Latino activists decide to strike back with the only weapon they have. We decided that we wanted to organize a a march. Yep, they're taking it to the streets. The protest is set for Sunday, October 16th. The plan is to get those affected by 187, undocumented immigrants and their friends and family, out in force. The march starts in the morning near Evergreen Cemetery in the Boyle Heights neighborhood of LA. It's sunny, not too hot. I remember feeling both excited and incredibly nervous. There's about a thousand people here, much less than they hoped would come out. Everyone begins to march down what's now Cesar Chavez Avenue, which connects East LA to the rest of Los Angeles. But as a group approaches the 10 freeway, we could see the sea of people. Our mouths dropped to the ground because the people came out, they responded. In the end, roughly 70,000 people come out, marching from East LA to City Hall. Protest was a cross section of Angelinos from fifth generation Chicano students to day laborers who recently crossed the border. They joined with Asians and African Americans in what's being called the largest demonstration in LA's history, even bigger than protests against the Vietnam and Gulf Wars. En este día, los Latinos en Los Angeles 
¡Estamos haciendo historia! Gerardo Correa, the high school student we heard from earlier, is here with his mom. It's the first protest they've ever been to. And so as we marched, you know, hearing the chants, hearing the cheers, hearing the music, um, the thing I, I also remember, too, is my mom's demeanor changed. Very quiet at first, just kind of like, okay, mijo, like, ¿qué es esto? You know? And so when we got to City Hall and at the end of the march, I mean, she was just bursting with pride and just excitement. I remember after that we went to King Taco <laughs> and we were talking about it and she's like, mijo, like, I had no idea. Like, I had no idea, like, what this was about and, and how many people were going to be affected. She's like, but today was really something. And I remember that. And she's like, you know, this was something. But in press clippings and news footage from that day, something stands out to me. The sign saying, this used to be Mexico. The red, white, and green banners. And all the Mexican flags. We were horrified. Here's Gloria Molina, then an L.A. County supervisor. I mean, it was a huge turnout, and they carried Mexican flags. It killed us. Why do you say that? Well, because this is, this is again, we were talking about being Americans, being Californians, about people who live and reside here in California as residents and as citizens. The last thing we need to be doing is being a pro-Mexico kind of situation. It was a horrible visual. It really was. A horrible visual because, according to Gloria, on-the-fence voters would interpret the flags as a Mexican invasion come to life. Here's Gerardo Correa. I think it was a recognition that, look, this is us. Despite whoever we want to identify as, however we want to see ourselves, <laughs> we're Mexican. You know, that's how the world sees us. And, you know, we can put on an L.A. Dodger hat and try to, you know, sing the Spangled Banner, but the reality is we're Mexican, and they're going to come after us. Oh, that Mexican flag. I've defended young people waving it during protests many times over the years. And yeah, they still do it. And both conservatives and older liberals still get enraged. But I get it. It's like, you're not going to accept me as an American? I might as well take you off as a Mexican. Anyway, back to October 16, 1994. An hour's drive south of downtown LA in Orange County, the 187 committee loves all those Mexican flags. Again, here are the Kylies. Boy, are they dumb. Boy, have they just just the opposite of what they should be doing. Just I mean, camp, I've been in campaigns for 20 years, and I mean, I, that was just a godsend for them to start doing that. What we knew exactly thinking? what was going to happen after that. Because the press is going to pick up on that. And as soon as the press picks up on that, it's going to be in every newspaper, it's going to be on every radio station, it's going to be every TV station, and it's what had happened. It's like, it was a gift. Thank you very much. I don't have to do any more. It's over. Here's Ron Prince from a news report from The Time, the guy who started the 187 campaign with the Kylies. L.A. Times poll is showing that the vast majority of the people in California and also in Los Angeles are supporting Proposition 187. And so, as far as we're concerned, we don't need to get out in, in the street to, uh, to march for anything, uh, even if we were inclined to do that. After the march, it's looking like 187 will pass. Voters are supporting Pete Wilson over Kathleen Brown by a wider margin now. Then a week before the election, the Los Angeles Times endorses Wilson for governor, marking the first time the paper has backed the California governor in 24 years. 24 years! The editorial states that while Wilson is, quote, utterly, totally, hopelessly wrong on Proposition 187, he has managed successfully to draw attention on the national stage to the plight of states trying to come to terms 
with problems that ought to be federal responsibility. I obviously can't speak for the paper, but that endorsement remains notorious among Chicano activists. I actually had a fan tell me that when I joined the LA Times, he would finally break his boycott of the paper that started when the Times backed Wilson. The endorsement was controversial within the paper, too. The day after it runs, the Times prints a furious dissension by the late legendary columnist Frank Del Olmo. Here's what Frank wrote. I have known and liked Wilson since he was mayor of San Diego. I don't think he's a bigot, but he made a terrible mistake in this campaign. By aligning himself with the immigration issue in its most nativist form, he has given legitimacy to an ugly streak of bigotry in California. And Latinos everywhere will never forgive him for that. On election night 1994, the Kileys are at the Orange County GOP party. They have the largest suite in the hotel. Total ballers. 187 still leads in the polls. Here's Bob Kiley. Never take anything for granted. Everything could be a slam dunk till the day election. It only counts when that ballot is cast. County by county, the results come in. In California, the anti-immigrant measure known as Proposition 187 was approved by over two-thirds of that state's voters, despite overwhelming opposition by Latinos. Proposition 187's the law of the land. Californians easily approved the initiative known as Proposition 187. Dianne Feinstein barely wins her Senate race. Pete Wilson easily wins his re-election campaign. 187 wins even bigger, even though almost 80% of Latinos vote against it. The win stuns Latinos. Here's Gerardo Correa. You know, after I read it, I'm like, no, there's no way. This is crazy. Like, why would this pass? And no, man, like, they wouldn't do this stuff here. At Anaheim High, a lot of us worry about our friends and family, even if we were citizens. Would our teachers now ask us to show proof of citizenship, like birth certificates? It's the last thing a high schooler wants to think about. Gloria Molina can't believe 187 passes by as much as it did, 59 to 41%. That was the worst part for me, is always saying, you know, it's barely going to squeak through. It may squeak through, but it's barely... No, it was a huge margin. What did that tell you, that the margin was so big? Well, it told me about how people felt about us. In Orange County, the 187 committee feels something else. Vindication. That... Despite being vilified as racists and nativists, they won. Here's Bob Kiley again. I said, what we have to do is make sure we all walk in together because we're a team. This is the team. They walk into the victory party like the New England Patriots. Ron Prince, Alan Nelson, Barbara Coe, Harold Azell, Bob and Barbara Kiley, and the rest of the committee. We were overwhelmed. You know, Newsweek, oh yeah, okay. Time Magazine, oh, okay. And because Governor Wilson attached his campaign so firmly to 187, it's now his to own. There's even talk about Pete Wilson for president. There is in this room, on this stage, in this audience, Californians of every race, every color, every creed. And what they have in common is an understanding that it is not fair to shortchange the education of our own children or the health care of legal residents. 
In that moment, triumphant, on the stage, Wilson is probably feeling good. But if he could see into the future, he might have felt differently. Because years later, 187 and Wilson would be synonymous. Not with victory, but with defeat. Coming up on the next episode of the Battle of 187. Do you think ultimately 187 won? Well, I think it initially won, obviously, because it passed, but no, it didn't. It, it lost, and it lost in so many different aspects. Um, like I mean, which look, ones? Well, we look at, the, look at the health of the Republican Party in, in California today. That's next time on This is California, the Battle of 187, a collaboration between the Los Angeles Times and Futuro Studios. If you'd like to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends to subscribe. You can find photos and more at latimes.com. If you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe over the cover art to find the episode notes. The Battle of 187 was written and reported by me, Gustavo Arellano, and by Marlon Bishop. Our engineers are Stephanie LeBeau at Futuro Studios and Mike Heflin at LA Times Studios. Production help from Lita Hallowell, Adriana Tapia, and Paige Heimson. Special thanks to NPR, KCRW, Loyola Marymount, and the Huntington Library for access to the archives. Our theme music is Salsa, from Niña Dios, courtesy of Nacional Records. Our editors at the LA Times are Hector Becerra, Reed Johnson, Shelby Grad, and Julia Turner. The Battle of 187 is executive produced by Abby Fentress Swanson for the Los Angeles Times and Marlon Bishop for Futuro Studios. See you next time.